Mentally Unscripted, episode 43, how to never argue again unless you want to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Mentally Unscripted. I am Paul, and as always, I'm joined by Scott. Scott, how are you today? Kicking ass and taking names. Had a good workout this morning. It's um, We're recording this on a Monday, so today was Monday squat day. Um, got that, okay. got up, got that out of the way. So now I'm feeling good, ready to take on the day. I was going to ask if it was, if it was Chester or legs, you already told me. Okay. So are you, are you one of those guys that's, that's always been balanced and, and not neglecting the legs or were you like, you know, chicken legs forever? And then you finally realized the power of getting the good workout. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I started working out, I was only 130 pounds. So I was pretty much chicken legs, chicken, everything. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. So no, I was one of those guys when I lear- first learned how to work out, I was being taught by someone who never bothered working legs, just like most high school mm. kids. Um, so yes. it wasn't until later on that I started working legs. But yeah, pretty much since college, I've been balanced, been trying to keep everything uh, looking like it's in proportion. Okay. Well, that's that's good. That, you know, On the show, we talk a lot about balance and the idea of, of thinking about balance and in terms of our perspectives, you live it out both mentally and physically, which is just fantastic. Yeah, I had to, I had a roommate for a while who he only cared about what he could see when he was looking in the bathroom mirror. So basically, the front of his body from waist up is was all he worried about. We Very made nice. fun of him quite a bit for having his chicken legs. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, well, just just harmful and cruel, but also needed. At some point, those legs need workout, right? Those muscles, the big ones. Right. Yeah, it's they need tough some love. love. Yeah, tough love. Yeah, tough love. Tough love. Well, guys, we have a very special episode today. You know, on this on this podcast, we we cover a lot of different topics, and it's always uh, with the intention of providing you with better tools for thinking about how you engage with others, right? So you get a topic, it's complex, it's thorny. You want different ways of thinking about it that's more nuanced than what you're getting from corporate media, maybe on social media. And um, and and then you're thinking about how am I going to engage with others? I mean, we have a foundational belief here that we're not just operating in a vacuum. We don't live on islands. We like to talk to people, our friends, our family. We want to share our ideas with them. And you know, in 2021, that's not always easy. Uh, there's there's a sense that anything is difficult. Uh, everyone's very polarized. Everyone's going to get into an argument. And uh, I think people feel this. They they feel it all the time. And so. Uh, rather than talking about any one topic today, we're going to go uh, one step above that. And we're going to talk about how do you actually avoid getting into arguments unless that is what you want to do. We're going to give you the secret sauce for how uh, for the techniques that we use to try to avoid arguments and really heated arguments. And, you know, Scott, we, we were talking a little bit offline. Do you recall the last time you got into a really bad heated argument over something you know, some kind of topic? No, luckily, no heated arguments, but there's certainly been differences of opinion and disagreements. But luckily, I learned a while back that getting into heated arguments, uh, just it's not really worth it. Nobody Mm. comes out the winner. Somebody is upset or usually both people are upset. I do try to avoid getting into the heated arguments, but there's certainly been differences of opinion and disagreements. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, your point is is 100%, 100% spot on. Uh, we, we oftentimes, when we feel very emotionally uh, charged and ready to go fight on a topic, we, we can oftentimes feel like what we're discussing is, is paramount to our lives, our daily lives, and the person that we're talking to. And, you know, if you're someone that's interested in, in topics, maybe, you know, global politics, energy policy, kind of these, these high-level ideas, 
you can sometimes forget that, you know, you're not actually in the room making those decisions. Those, those ideas are something that you can, you can certainly read about and be interested in. Um, and maybe you're, you're very well informed on them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, uh, you're not, you know, win a war, win a battle. And, um, so I think we, we, we tend to forget that. And that's, that's not always positive. Um, and I'm thinking about this summer, uh, I was in a conversation with somebody and it was, it was actually related to, to cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, we, we've had a, several podcasts where we've talked about those and the idea of decentralization. And uh, I'm, I'm obviously very pro. And, um, and the discussion was, was interesting. I mean, there were some really interesting perspectives on NFTs and how we, um, whether or not they have value, whether cryptocurrencies have value. And at some point, the, the, the man said something and it just sort of struck me. And um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'd had a few drinks and um, I just sort of was <laughs> unable to control myself and it just, just kind of lashed out a little bit. And I thought about the next day and I said, well, you know, it was kind of deconstructing what happened. I said, what, what exactly did you get? Did you win? I mean, he, was, he wasn't pro crypto before and I'm fairly certain he's, he's less pro now <laughs> or maybe he's really going against it. And so I realized from that, you know, it's just, it's another example. You can be very emotional. I am, I'm someone who's very passionate about certain ideas. And so, you know, that's great. It's great to have the passion. Um, but that doesn't mean you need to get into heated arguments. Uh, there just uh, there isn't a whole lot of value you get from that, other than sort of releasing that tension. So why, why don't we start there? And and you know all the information we're going to be sharing here, we've put it together in what we believe is a really great practical guide of how to engage with people, have really interesting conversations, but without going down that nasty path of having horrible arguments. So we're going to start there. We're going to talk about what is an argument, right? So. You know, there, there's definitions. You can go into Google and you can you can you know type it um, and, and look at an argument. And and actually, the way we think about argument is is actually the real kind of crux of it, right? Uh, so you know, here we have it's the active process of arguing, reasoning, or discussing. So in the in the most uh, benevolent way, it's really just a way of sharing ideas, right? Um, and it's it's going to be reasoned. You know, you're going to have ideas uh, that that go beyond opinion, although most of it can be and, and likely is an opinion. But you're trying to find the facts. Um, maybe maybe you're doing a really good job of assessing just from the facts up and reaching a conclusion. Oftentimes we're doing the opposite. We're starting with the conclusion, finding the facts that kind of support what we feel is correct. Um, but in some way, you're sharing an idea about an argument um, about about some idea. So when you're when you're talking to somebody. And, you know, the question comes up for many people, they say, well, argument, I mean, isn't that a, isn't that something we want to avoid? And, you know, our position is no, actually, you don't really want to avoid arguments because if you, if you view it as just the sharing of an idea with a set of facts and some kind of conclusion, it's possible that that person has other facts um, or a nuanced analysis or way of looking at the facts that can actually be beneficial to you. Maybe there's, there's just points, maybe you, you, everyone knows that they have blind spots and so they, they maybe skip certain facts or they don't, they don't go down a certain path of analysis. So actually being and, and listening to other people's arguments is quite positive. Now, Scott, do you have some, some thoughts on you know, the argument, the sort of the, the paranoia people have with when they hear the term argument? No, there's the more technical definition of argument. Um, I know one of the examples that you give here in the guide is the defense attorney's closing argument. At the end of a trial, the attorneys will each stand up and give their summation of the case, essentially, where they'll go back through all of the facts and try to walk the jury um, through their line of reasoning to a particular conclusion. 
and it's not heated, right? The two sides aren't yelling at each other and calling each other names at the time. It's just each side has the opportunity to state their case is essentially it. So that is, I think, a more technical definition of argument. Um, I also know like in philosophy, they have a a pretty specific definition of argument as well. Um, But I think what you're going to get into next, though, is then there's the more general, I guess, community, um, societal definition of argument. And that's when... it gets heated and, you know, you have red faces and uh, foul language and, you know, potential throwing of objects. Um, So I think no matter how you define it, okay, what we're trying to avoid here is that last type of argument. Okay. We, we want to avoid the quarrels and um, the situations where reason is taking, or excuse me, emotions are taking control and pushing out reason and rationality and and what you definitely don't want to do is get to that that worst endpoint to where you're not even listening to each other and you're shouting each other down. And I think that when we talk about the um, the lack of uh, discourse that we have when we're having discussions in today's world and online is that's the point we've reached where we don't have really in-depth discourse. Um, so we're hoping that this guide will help you again, no matter how you define argument, um, will help you stay in that upper level argument where it's just a series of stating facts and conclusions and reasons why you believe that your line of thinking is superior to, um, someone else's. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, to sum it up, we're, we're calling these areas that you want to avoid heated arguments, right? So we've had that descriptor, you know, the emojis come out, the devil face comes out, everyone's red and frustrated. And you, you've reached a point where there's there's no ability for you to just hear what the other person's saying and think about it because your emotions are, are revving on, you know, <laughs> on 11. And, you, and then, then you want to be on attack. And that's exactly the opposite of what... Um, of what you actually want to be because you can't be receptive to new ideas. When we talk about mental models and we talk about this exploration and reasoning, it's all about learning about your environment and constantly looking to grow and having arguments with others that are just an expression of emotion is the opposite of that. It's really more of a venting exercise. And unfortunately it can have some pretty disastrous conclusions because of the people you're talking to. If you're talking to friends and family members, you've known your whole life and you love and respect all of a sudden you have a heated argument over something and you you go after their intelligence or their character and well you're just a bad person if you think that well that's a heat of the moment comment that is just it's throwaway really it has nothing to do with what you're discussing but that's where a lot of these conversations can go uh, i certainly can imagine the the number of times you know trump comes up just as a word that's that's mentioned and the room can just go into a frenzy right <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> Both sides will just split, go to either side of the room, like, you know, a a junior high school dance with all the boys on one side, all the girls on the other side. Um, Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like Moses parting the Red Sea. It's just everyone divides instantly. Um, You call that middle school. I'm pretty sure that was my high school too, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I feel okay about that. Yeah. But one, one thing to remember is that once, once emotion starts coming into it, then you're more apt to start making logical fallacies. Um, and the one you mentioned, the ad hominem attack, where you start attacking the person rather than their idea. And this is one of the reasons why it's pretty important to try to maintain control and approach the discussion with rationality, because then it's easier for you to identify those those traps, those logical fallacies that you can fall into. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've got so many examples of people uh, that have said something to me in the moment that just was, they, they regretted later, honestly, uh, because it, we were having a discussion about a topic that I, I felt very comfortable in the facts that I knew and the data that I'd collected and I could present it in different ways. And they were so just uh, appalled by some of the information I shared and how I shared it, right? The, some of the words that I said uh, that they, they called me some very nasty things and later apologized. And, uh, and that's not to say I'm always right because that's, that's, that's not at all the conclusion here. Um, I think at, in those particular moments, because I was not emotionally attached in a way to uh, the topic or the, or the analysis, I didn't feel that those emotions and, and when they when they said those what you could call hurtful hurtful words, it didn't hit me that way. I thought, well, I think they've just kind of they've stepped over the edge and they probably need a little bit of a cool down period. Yeah, I, I can remember one incident I had uh, a few years ago when I was working with the government and I had written a, uh, a report of a, a case that I was investigating. This is back when I was a, a HIPAA a complaint investigator. The attorney that I was working with had reviewed the document and in the very first paragraph where I laid out the the basic argument or the the basic idea behind the entire case, the attorney had put in a comment here saying, I don't really understand this. And so when I had a meeting with her, I said, well, if you didn't understand this, why didn't you come ask me? Because now every other comment that you made in this paper is, I'm wondering if these comments are coming from the fact that you misunderstood what I was saying. So I feel like you've wasted my time and your time. And her response was, don't take this personal. And <laughs> and it's like, this isn't personal, right? It's like, if you had a question, come ask me. And I got pretty, that got pretty heated. So that was a, a, a time when her logical fallacy, I think that I was taking this personal and accusing me of it caused me to then take it personal. So sometimes, sometimes the fallacy you commit or can cause the actual fallacy to come true. So I think that's a, a good thing to remember um, when you're trying to, re to avoid the heated arguments. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, I think we agree. I mean, there's there's a whole analysis you could do for why do the why these arguments grow heated. But I think it really comes down to more of this emotional attachment that we have to certain ideas and something that we feel we need to defend, right? And what's interesting about that that idea is that what we feel we need to defend is often um, it's 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 more of an idea. It's not necessarily a person. So it's not it's not as if your you know your child is being attacked and you feel bad that you had to defend them, right? I mean that's that's just expected, right? That's that's part of your duty as as a parent to to physically uh, keep them safe, right? Oftentimes, what we're arguing about are these ideas, but we feel this attachment to them. Um, and you know, we, we've we've kind of explained that in, in the guide and uh, going using the the righteous mind by Jonathan Haidt as a way to explore some of those ideas. So the the, the moral matrix and how we feel that aspects of that matrix are areas that we have to defend. So when someone says something that goes against our idea of morality. It's something that we, we feel has to be corrected. And by sharing our ideas, we have to correct them. But we should always ask ourselves, well, how exactly is that occurring? Because our morality and how it evolves isn't based on this single discussion you're having in the moment. Um, it's, it's based on all of our experiences and the, the mentoring and what we've learned from those around us and, and taking those ideas in and, and creating these judgments. 
So we have these subjective ideas of what morality is, and we apply that to everything that we hear. And the more attached we are to those subjective beliefs, we feel the need to defend them. So you realize that, and all of a sudden you can step back and ask yourself, well, what exactly are we debating here? Why am I so em- emotionally attached to it? doesn't mean that your emotional attachment isn't isn't justified in your mind. It very much is. But it also begs the question, if you're going to be talking about any debate, let's just say climate change as an example, are you really talking about climate change? Or are you talking about aspects of your own moral fabric? And if you put it in that context, that may slow you down. That may take some of the steam out of that anger you feel when someone says something that is very frustrating to you and you feel the need to correct. And Scott, I don't know, do, do you think that there's... Um, you know, do you think people really understand this about themselves in terms of their moral beliefs? No, they don't. I think a lot of people, uh, they tend to look at the world as a reflection of them or the world is a mirror of them. So if they think a certain way about something, um, so one of the, one of the moral, uh, one of the morals that we have listed here is fairness. So there's two different ways you can look at fairness. Fairness could be that you um, let's let's just take it from a uh, an individual standpoint versus a community standpoint. So fairness from a community standpoint would be that um, you take what you earn, and if you have excess, then you give it to the people who have less. Um, but another way you can look at fairness is on a more individual level to say, well, you earned it, so that is your property. So you get to decide whether you want to give it to others. Okay. You don't have, there's no state coming in and using its, its authority and its, uh, its a course of force to force you to, um, share your, your property. Um, so that's two different ways of looking at fairness and you can make very good arguments for both, for both sides. Okay. But someone who views fairness from a more collectivist um, community-based approach is going to look at the person who looks at who sees fairness as a more individual and look at them as an immoral person and a bad person. And so that that's an example of how you often will look at others and impute to them your moral values. A big part of that is number one, remembering that there are different ways to look at morals. Just because two sides don't agree on something doesn't mean that one side is right, one side is wrong, one side is moral, one side is immoral. It's just a different perspective. And so trying to understand that is one big step that you can take to avoid arguments. And I know we're going to get into the strategy a little bit later, but to answer your question, I I honestly don't think that people understand that. Um, They don't understand that that morality is not a there's not one single answer to morality. There can be multiple answers. So, and, and you can disagree with us on that. You may say, no, that's not true. Here is the morality, and this is the morality we must enforce. Um, and we're, we're going to have a, a point of agree to disagree on that. And, and I think your example is, is spot on. You know, the, the moral uh, landscape or the foundations that, that Height identifies include care, liberty, authority, fairness, loyalty, and sanctity. And the way in which you view those and value them it impresses on how you view any and all, all issues. So I think as a core principle that you take from this discussion is that when, when someone brings up a topic and you feel an emotional reaction to it, and perhaps you start to feel the, the desire to be in a heated discussion about it, you can, you can take a step back and ask, well, what am I, is it the topic at hand or is it more about my, my own morality? And do I understand my own morality? Go back to first principles and ask yourself, what, what is my morality? 
do I understand it? Um, I'll just do a little plug here. Not that there's any money exchange, but uh, Jonathan Haidt's done a great job on putting together the moral matrix. You can actually go and do a survey to get a better understanding of your own moral intuitions and values. And in fact, we did our own study. I think one of the first episodes we ever did uh, for the podcast was us taking that survey and then sharing our results and showing many ways we were surprised to hear about our morality. But it's a great tool, and I think it's a great way to to, to introspect and understand more about your your beliefs. But um, so if if we know that much of the way we're going to re- react to ideas is about morality, we know that. Then let's let's talk a little bit about well, okay, if we understand that, but we're still seeing you know the challenges of having these these in depth conversations about complex topics. You know, how do you start and, and engage without getting into that heated moment and we we have a couple of ideas here, and I, I think it's a pretty interesting process that we've come up with. And we've we've leaned on some of the people we've met um, over the last year or so, and taken some of these other ideas um, from you know some of the other work that we've done and, and books we've read, and kind of combined it into a three step process. And so the process goes like this: first, you got to identify your mode. You got to understand where you are in the moment. Then, as you're having those conversations, you got to be um, kind of keeping your eyes out, keeping your ears out for red flags that may indicate that someone has gone from this really productive discussion of ideas to something that's more emotional and can lead into what we're calling the heated argument. And finally, what are the things you can do to kind of triage the discussion? Um, either turning it away to to something that's less inflammatory, you know, bringing it back to a really fruitful conversation. And then at some point, realizing that that's really not going to happen and being able to, to step away before any real damage is done. So that's kind of the three-step process that we've come up with. And you know, Scott, I think for a lot of listeners, the, the concept of going meta as a starting point is, is going to be new to them. Um, that's usually not where they start. In fact, you know, as we said, many people don't realize uh, how much their moral intuitions come into the discussion and then they do they even understand those i think meta or you know the identifying their mode and being in that meta state is new can you describe uh, for our listeners what that means yes yeah, so this concept of going meta uh, we we borrowed this from george silverman uh he's the one who coined the term as far as i know um and so we did interview him uh several episodes back so we'll put a link to the show notes to that uh to that podcast episode. And we'll also link to his uh, Medium article where he describes going meta. But the idea of going meta is you step away. Uh, I think of it as you step away from yourself. You step away from the situation and you try to look at it as an uninterested third-party observer. So this idea of meta, if you think about metadata, um, so we hear about metadata um, when we're, we hear about uh, you know phone companies and the government um, getting the getting our phone calls and spying on us and things, right? And they say, well, it's not the actual contents of your emails or your phone calls, but it's the metadata. So the metadata is the data that describes the data. I know I'm getting a little too database administrator-ish here, but <laughs> your background's showing up. Yeah. So, but think of it as that is like meta is you're trying to you're trying to describe the situation as an uninterested third-party observer. And what that does is it separates you from the emotion in the moment. Okay. And it lets you try to thoughtfully and rationally assess 
what's going on. Okay. So when you're in a discussion with someone and you feel it's starting to get heated, you, you take that step back and you, you look at the situation and you, you ask yourself, what mode am I in? Okay. If you find that you're in a mode where you, a competitive mode where you have to be right, you're trying to win. Okay. That should be, that's a red flag to you that you're in the wrong mode because a good argument or a good discussion, it's not about winning and losing. And um, it's about conveying information and also getting information in so that you can update your positions. But but winning and losing, this concept of winning and losing in competition, it can be it can get highly emotional. And that's when you can start accusing people or when you're in that mode, that's when you can start accusing people of having um, um, bad motives. You can start questioning their moral character, their intelligence. And when you start doing that, like you said before, that's when you're going down the road of a bad argument. So by going meta and identifying your mode, you can see where you're at, what place you're in. And if you're not in the right place, you can make a switch. So you can go from competitive mode to a teach and learn mode. And that would hopefully kind of dial down the emotion a little bit, help you speak and think rationally, um, and will help you most importantly, stop and listen. Um, so when I, so when I hear meta, that's, that's the way I picture it. I picture myself as some like, tried, like disembodied, you know, astral projection floating above the conversation, um, listening to it and trying to um, evaluate what, what mode I'm in. What is my mental state? What is my emotional state? And is that the state that I should be in or do I need to change it? I think that's a great overview of a concept that's actually difficult for people to get their arms around. And, and it, it is because we're actually in modes all day long, all the time. And this, this was kind of the awareness I had from when we spoke to George was it sounded as if meta was uh, and going meta and thinking about your mode was something that some people should do some of the time. When in fact, at any time, there's a mode, right? So right now, there's a mode of, of us sharing these ideas. And there is no competition between Scott and I. Uh, what we're trying to do actually is more of a student-teacher type of mode where the audience is, is more of the, the student that's listening to these ideas and we're attempting to teach them. You can switch very quickly from that to more of a humor mode where maybe we're trying to make the audience laugh and, and get you guys to, to engage uh, then at some point, maybe it goes into more of a, of a question and answer mode, right? Where um, someone is is really trying to get specific information and you're, you're not really trying to teach them. You're trying to provide the information that you have. So understanding that you're always in these modes, it gives you the ability to start asking yourself when you're in that, that discussion, that argument, and are, are, have we moved from a sharing to more of a critique kind of mode? And, and maybe you're thinking about this mode the wrong way. Maybe you, you've, you've come into this discussion and your mode is, is very much you want to share and you want to hear ideas and you're asking questions of their, their, their position, but the way that they view it is more of a competition. I'm here to win. And if you can see that difference between the modes, all of a sudden you can start to reframe and, and, and look at the expectations you have for what you can share and really how you should share. So Really, the, the starting point here is to be able to look at the modes, understand that that's, a, that that's happening all the time. And when you actually get into a discussion with someone, you should be thinking, okay, how do we make this mode a, sort of a win-win, right? And making sure you guys are talking about it in the same way, uh, that the person, when they're asking questions and showing genuine curiosity, you don't, you don't think to yourself, well, I need to teach this person when they're not trying to be a student. 
They're just trying to share. And I, I think some of that mode conflict is where we probably see a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of people maybe in today's environment are coming into these conversations with a more of a, a, a competition kind of mindset, not really the curiosity, but more of, the, okay, it's about me sharing my ideas and I need to win. And, and that really it isn't going to make for a very constructive type of, of conversation. From a, from a mode perspective and from a um, going meta perspective, do you think there's anything else we need to share, Scott? Um, no, I think we've, we've nailed it. Um, it's, it's a concept that's hard to explain, and it's something that you just have to do. The difficult part for me is when I start getting into these arguments is remembering to stop and go meta. So, And that's something we don't touch on a lot in this guide. Um, that might be a more advanced topic, but but be aware when you're talking to someone and you're starting to get that sense that they're disagreeing with you. Sometimes it's really easy to know, right? If you're a if you're a Broncos fan and you're talking to someone from Kansas City that you know is a Chiefs fan, you know that going in, probably you're going to disagree on a few things. Um, so be aware. But um, it can be harder uh, in other cases. So, you know, maybe you're both Broncos fans, but you have a different opinion than the person you're talking about, uh, talking with about what is wrong with the football team and about why they lost, you know, or won, won or lost recently. Um, so those can be a little more difficult. Um, so one tactic that worked for me when I was trying to learn how to, um, to talk better with people or have better conversations with people is I just had a notebook and I would just write things down. Now, sometimes you can't always have a notebook with you. You can't always pull it out. You know, you're hanging out with your buddies, having a few beers and you start talking about football, you know, <laughs> you're probably not going to whip a notebook out. But um, but what having the, the notebook and being able to jot things down taught me is a method to a way of sort of creating little notes in my head, like little flags. Um, that I could be aware of, um, little, you know, checkpoints, I guess, um, that I could be aware of just in my head so that when I started to see the conversation going down, um, a bad path, then I could switch into this meta mode. Um, and you know, some people, it may just be you always try to be into the meta mode. Every time you talk to somebody, maybe you always try to switch into meta mode. So you'll just have to figure out what works best for you. Um, and I think, you know, going meta, I think it's something that could help in a lot of situations that you think maybe it wouldn't. I'm thinking, you know, maybe you're at the grocery store and you're dealing with the cashier and the cashier is being rude to you. So your inclination is to be rude back. Um, and so that's just a time when we may not think that going meta would be beneficial, but it, it could be because going meta could, it'll put you in a state. Well, like, you know, well, you know, this cashier, she's dealing with people all day long. So maybe the customer before me was really rude to her or something along those lines. And it can really help you. Um, so that's just my very <laughs> TLDR, right? <laughs> it can be hard. It can be hard to. Yeah to remember to go into the meta state. So try to figure out some techniques um, to help you remember to do that. And you'll, you'll see the benefit of it. Yeah. I, I, th I think the idea of practice is something that isn't quite understood. There, oftentimes people are thinking about gathering up all this information. I need more information to be able to have this better argument. When in fact, I think what we're suggesting is actually understanding what the mode is and and being aware of that is is sort of step one. And so, you know, things you can do to practice this is, you know, in your in out, you know, 
I would say situations in which you don't have an argument, just kind of observe what is the mode that's going on right there. Uh, when you see a parent and a child, you recognize that that's a teaching element, right? But there's also other modes that, that can also happen. There can be a corrective behavior. Perhaps they're going to teach the kid not to not to do something that they don't want them to do. Um, touching a stove right? <laughs> could be a good example. Maybe they they pat or slap the hand away, uh, or they they speak with a stern voice. So that's that's a that's going beyond the teacher sort of. Um, teacher-student mode, right? Um, you, you can also see uh, parents and, and friends, right? You're, you're in a conversation. You can see when it's just sharing, you know, catching up, what's going on? How, how are you doing? What's, you know, specifics about what's, what's happening and maybe, you know, what's your day like? But then that can also go into a critique mode uh, where someone, you know, they say, well, I, I went on a date with this kind of person, this kind of guy. My friend goes on a date with this kind of guy and you go, oh my gosh, you're always falling for these guys. It never works out. Now you've, now you've switched. You've moved away from a sharing mode and asking questions to a critique mode. So the more, the more time you spend observing the modes and just becoming observant of how they, they operate, it's going to give you sort of a viewpoint of how and when in these modes are kind of coming into play when they're shifting and give you a better a way of asking yourself, okay, well, when am I seeing these modes? And perhaps when am I starting to change modes, right? When am I going from sharing to critiquing? When am I assuming that I need to start teaching somebody when in fact, I'm just trying to share information? Um, so be, I, think, I think the more you can look at other people, more that you recognize the modes exist, you're going to be have a better chance through that practice of being able to go meta at the moment in which uh, you're having that that really intense discussion on a, on a, a we'll call it a complex topic. Sometimes they feel more like incendiary topics these days. But um, okay, so we've started off with these concepts. Why why we get into heated arguments? How you start, and that's by first thing is to know going meta. And I'll I'll just give one last point on that this weekend. Uh, we were visiting with some friends, and we were at a party. Uh, and uh, we, we, you know, I met somebody, and first we're just we're, we're in the getting to know you mode, right? Asking very basic questions, and then there was a there was a topic about um, a city, Chicago, that we used to live in, and then all of a sudden it went into this very um, you know kind of depressing discussion point. And we were sharing, you know, where where we're from, um, you know, our perspective on seeing some of the the, the uh, aspects of the city that disappointed us after years of living there and being huge fans of Chicago. And, you know, at the time, I think I was a little too tired. I wasn't really on my A game to really understand the mode. And not that the, you know, the conversation went, went south, but if I'd been more aware and kind of with it, I would have seen this, this person wasn't really looking to engage on that. They didn't, they didn't want to go down this, this, you know, heavy learning mode. They wanted to share the highlights of their, their visit there. So, you know, just being aware of that doesn't always mean that you have to be in a heated place to recognize that understanding the mode is, is a little bit like reading the room, but with some other nuances. So always has value, but let's move on to what we're looking at when we look for red flags, right? So, you know, you can imagine you're in a moment, you're having a really good discussion, talking about something you're passionate about. They're also passionate about it. You're sharing a lot of ideas through that curiosity, and you're getting the sense that maybe something is starting to go in the wrong direction. And I think really there, there's no perfect lens by which you're going to be able to say, well, that's, you know, this, this is, these are exactly the things you need to notice. And as, as long as you see those, you're, you're done. It's easy. You can, you can see that it's, a, it's gone to a heated argument. It's really the examples, sort of the things that we observe that are going to tell us, hey, things are getting worse. And, you know, some of the things that we talk about are things like tone. You know, tone starts conversational. You're asking questions. Both you are showing, you know, that you're curious. You want to hear what the other person says. And then at some point, someone's becoming more dictatorial, right? 
they've now started to say, well, no, that's not true. And here's the reasons why they, they're not, they're, they want to move away from a give and take and they more want to take the podium and explain to the other person why, um, their, their position is wrong. Right. And so there's, there's things that we've identified around tone and language control, emotions, and direction of, of the conversation where we think you should be aware of those and be thinking about that. So when you're having this discussion, you're, you're aware of the mode that's going on, making sure that it's staying stable. But you're also looking at some of these other factors in terms of how, you're, how the person's responding and how they're communicating their ideas and also how you're responding, right? You can be aware of, you know, are you moving for, uh, have you changed your language from something that's trying to be constructive into something that's more combative? Uh, and did you not do that? Did you did something come out of your mouth and maybe you go, oof, I wish I could take that back. That really wasn't actually what I wanted to say. Well, that's a that's a sign that things are are moving in the wrong direction. And you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna look at how do you change that. And you know, I, I guess Scott, from your perspective, you know, we've talked about red flags here. Um, do you think people are aware that they need to find red flags or are they just kind of moving forward? What do you think of this concept and how it's being used in these conversations? Yeah. Again, I think awareness is the big thing. Um, when you're reaching the point where you need to start looking for red flags, I think it's often the case that you've already started to become emotionally invested in the argument. So rather than looking at the other person, their tone, their body language, and trying to find the red flags, you're starting to worry more about, uh, what you're going to say next or how you're going to refute what they're saying. Um, so you start to turn your attention more towards yourself rather than the other person. And that's, that's the, that's the first step down a path that's going to end in destruction, I think. Um, so, so once you're, you know, you're in that situation where you're identifying your mode, I think of it as don't only try to identify your mode, but also try to identify the other person's mode. And you can do that. Um, you can do that by, again, looking at their body language, tone of voice, um, and that sort of thing, and, you know, the looks on their face, the language that they're using, and then um, use that as your red flags. So if it seems like they're starting to, they're raising their voice, they're not letting you finish your sentences, right? Those, that would indicate that they're in some sort of a competitive mode. And then there's your red flag that you maybe need to try to take a step back or try to try to get into that triage to try to rescue the conversation. Um, and, and it's really hard because you don't know what the other person's thinking. Um, so you're, a lot of times you're just guessing or you're, you're making an educated guess. You're, you're seeing the way they're acting, hearing what they're saying, and you're, you're trying to decide what mode they're in. And, you know, you could always just ask them, but the danger with that though, is they could feel like you're accusing them of something. It, you know, if you take a step back and say, well, you know, are you, I feel like you're trying to just win here and you're not listening to me, then they may take offense at that. And so a lot of it can be knowing the person, the better you know them. I think the easier it is to identify the red flags. Um, yeah, it's definitely not an exact science. No, not at all. But but it's it's also just because it's not an exact science doesn't mean that it's not a an area that you want to be aware of. And and also, I think just even realizing that you're on the look for red flags, you're aware that that a mode can shift, the direction can shift really really quickly. And therefore, you want to be, uh, you know, aware of what's happening. Uh, Scott, you just talked about awareness, but in a lot of what um, the skill of avoiding an argument is is just that 
right? It's it's this awareness both of your own mindset and your your emotions. So it's also awareness of what signals that they're giving you. So we, we we've definitely put in a list here, but it's it's not at all exhaustive. And to your point, the more you know somebody, the better chance it is that you have of of identifying some of those red flags. But let's let's really get into the meat of what people want to know about, I'm sure, is not only preventing it, but you're now in this discussion, this concept of triage. So, Scott, how do you think about triage when you're in that argument that, you know, start off really productive, you had some really interesting ideas, and now it's kind of gone somewhere south. How do you start to think about the, the triage? You, you've identified those red flags, the tones change, their, their body language seems to suggest they're a little bit more combative now. Um, how do you think about triage? Um, the first, the first and most important thing is to not panic. Um, you're not just because you're seeing the red flags doesn't mean that the conversation is, um, beyond rescuing. Uh, so don't panic, just try to stay calm and quickly just evaluate your mode and what you think is the other person's mode and alter your behavior in a way that, um, will, lessen the intensity of the conversation, maybe take some of the emotion out of it. You know, they say when you go on a job interview, you want to try to mirror the interviewer because that makes them feel more comfortable. So, so as humans, right, we do that. We try to mirror each other. Um, so if you, if you switch modes, if you switch out of a combative mode and into a more, uh, learning focus mode or learning centric mode, or maybe a little bit of humor, um, to try to diffuse the situation, the other person may respond to that very well. Um, you know, so things like, um, you know, changing your language, making sure that your tone does not sound combative, um, your body language, shifting your body language. Don't, you know, don't lean forward, maybe lean back a little bit, um, and, and try to be less and try to come across as less threat. Uh, and it's, you know, there's no, nothing's going to work 100% of the time, but, one thing to remember is that the goal with an argument or a discussion is not always to convince the other person. It's, I think of it as just give them something to think about, make them, if, if, if both people come away from a discussion with the understanding that there's maybe another way to look at this, at the topic, you know, whatever the point of the discussion is, then that's, that's a win-win. Okay. So when you're triaging, right, keep all that in mind. Um, cause the more that you try to win the argument, the, the more you try to convince somebody else, you know, most of the time people aren't, you're not going to be able to convince them. A lot of people, you know, we've made it up, we make up our minds about things and we can concede that maybe our reasoning isn't 100% that maybe there's situations where we're wrong. Um, but we're, it's just hard to convince us to change our minds. I think we all know that. So don't, you know, when you're triaging, you know, don't, don't try to triage in a way to where you're going to win, right? Change, change the desired outcome of the discussion. And that makes triaging easier. Yeah. I, I think you, you triage towards a point of learning, right? And to satisfy the curiosity of, of perspectives rather than I think what you're saying, which is a, some sort of either combative or sort of a, a gameplay mode, right? Where you feel like, oh, I have to win. And, and I completely agree that the goal, if, if your goal is to try and convince people of your superiority, either in your understanding of the issue or your the, the moral rationale, you, you're really missing an opportunity to share with others. And really, I think 
to the point that you made, the the best you're going to be able to do is provide some information. If if they hold a, a view that's the opposite of yours, um, the best that you can hope for is that they you you share a piece of information, analysis, a concept in a way that it makes them think and maybe be more open the next time into um, sort of what you're sharing and how you're sharing it. Um, again, going back to the early part of this discussion, a lot of the way we feel about um, these ideas go back to the, the moral foundations that we have. And so, you, you know, you're talking to someone about um, a topic, you know, let's just say abortion as an example, without getting into the details, and you guys have a, opposing views. Um, are, you, are you really, and you, you, you can often find you're, you're in this deep conversation about technical issues that um, maybe you do know a lot about, maybe you don't, but it's really coming back to your, your moral view on, you know, the concept and, and that can even be broken down further. So, you know, recognizing that is important. And when I think about triage, you said it, Scott, this idea of what is a way in which I can change the mode is probably one of the most useful ways of going about trying to improve this. Right, so a good example. I've had this. Um, I, it was a coworker of mine who was who was a manager, and I I saw us as you know he was he was actually a little bit younger than me, and he was he was the manager, and I I think there was a, a disconnect in my head, you know, about the mode in terms of how he shared information. And once I realized that he was really looking for a teacher student mode, I didn't think of it in terms of modes at the time. I was able to really just anytime something came up, I was able to really tell myself, "You're in the you're in the student mode now. You may not need to learn this information the way that he wants to share it, but it's going to be useful for him." And what happened after two months of this activity is I learned a tremendous amount from him. Uh, it did change. It took change in my behavior to understand what was going on, to observe, and then react to it. But by doing that, by changing the mode, realizing that this was the mode that was going to work effectively for him and I was going to benefit from him, it was a, it was a win-win. It allowed us to work really, really well. Uh, and and our, our friendship at the, at the company uh, thrived after that. But it took some time. There was, there was some of that combativeness. But knowing that the mode was there, that they wanted to share a certain way and that you know, I could have spent a lot of time trying to focus on the mode. You know, what mode are we in right now? Maybe you know, trying to change some of the language, um, and and maybe so well, this is not the right mode because you, you're doing it wrong. I, I realized that my my objective here was to learn, right? And he has a certain way of teaching it, so just revert back to that, and you'll get the most out of it. And, and so that's the same same concept here when you're in a discussion, and you know, again, humor switching to more of a humor mode can be a really positive approach. Uh, switching to the teacher student if they've they reached a point where they're really saying things, well, this is this is the way it is in dictatorial. Maybe maybe take a step back and say, well, you know, you don't have to say, well, I'm you know, I'm the student now. Teach me. You can say something more along the facts. Like, you know, I, I actually would really like to understand your perspective better. Maybe maybe share some of the you know things in your mind that are just you know bright lines. You can't change that. Maybe they're assumptions that I should have that are different from yours. Really explore that curiosity and change the process. And you may actually enjoy it. Just you you become control of the questions, and you can ask the questions that are really interesting to you. They get a chance to really share their ideas without feeling like they're being being attacked. And you can learn something. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Just remember, you don't know everything. So chances are whoever you're having a discussion with knows something you don't know. So would you, in the end, are you better off if you win or if you ask questions and learn something new? And and we're going to argue that uh, 99% of the time you're, you're going to be better off, if not 100% of the time. I think I may stake a claim on that. You're going to be better off in these discussions sharing 
and learning uh, than attempting to win a, a, a battle that just you know, realize everything that we've talked about today from this concept of, of why we get into heated arguments to uh, this approach of, of going meta, understanding your mode, look, scanning for red flags, and then triaging. It, it's all within the context of, of having good discussions with people. And, you know, there's, there's going to be times when someone really likes what you say, but they don't want to hear it from you. Sometimes people are just going to not like the messenger. And that's, that's going to be hard for you to swallow because you're thinking you've got something you really want to share. But hey, by the way, they just don't want to hear it from you. That's okay. That's the way life is. Life, life, life isn't what we want it to be. Life is what it is. And we accept that and we move with it. And, and what we're trying to do here again is just to try and improve that, that communication, that dialogue. So Scott, what, what else do you think that the, uh, the audience would need to hear about how to never, never argue unless they want to? <laughs> no, I think to go back to what, what I just said is just ask questions. Put yourself in the mode of asking questions to try to learn more. And there's nothing, even if the other person isn't asking questions, I think you can still work your opinions into um, the way you ask the questions or um, in, in your responses to their, their answers to their questions. Um, I think the big thing, though, is stay curious and try to avoid being combative. And remember that the goal of an argument is not to win. It's, it's to learn. Well said, Scott. Well said. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Um, we put all this information that we talked about into a great document. It's an ebook. We have it on our website, mentallyunscripted.com. You can go there, you can sign up, you can get the document, and you can share it with others. We'd love for this to get out to as many people as possible because ultimately, everything we're doing on this podcast is about improving our communication. Uh, with our friends and family about difficult topics. And we, we know that uh, today, more than ever, we need an ability for all of us to be better communicators, clearer communicators, and looking for that win-win that we all want. So uh, we, we would love to hear your thoughts. Our new website is now up. Uh, we're using Substack. And the benefit there is you can add all the comments you want on the website. You can engage. Uh, so we're looking forward to using those features. We'd love to hear your thoughts. What are some of the techniques that you've used uh, to have better, more more useful conversations, perhaps a specific questions. Maybe it's more of a mindset. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you've got questions about the guide, about how we um, any of the concepts, you can ask us there, and we can we can respond and engage with you there. So again, uh, thank you for the time, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, our next discussion.